Village Bible Church has had a relationship with a ministry in Uganda called Juna Amagara Ministries, JAM for short, for about 10 years. And it's really amazing to be a part of this relationship that is ongoing. And as we go every year, we can really see how it's impacting the kids and it's really making a difference. So it was a real blessing to me and a real joy just to slot into that ministry and step into it again after four years and be a part of it again. So you can see um, in the next slide, this, these are our team members that went. There were eight of us. And then we joined Lisa O'Brien, who is our missionary on the ground in Uganda, and Kate in the green sweatshirt in the middle. She's our executive pastor's wife, and she knows all of our children by name, and she remembers all their faces, and she did an amazing job leading this team. And then in the next slide over there, we were joined with four amazing Ugandans, and this really made this trip effective because they were equal ministry partners with us. We had a translator who's not in the picture. Um, on the left was Joseph. He was our assistant and photographer. In the middle was Ivan. He was our driver, and he kept us very safe. Um, the traffic in Uganda is crazy, and he knew exactly how to navigate it, so we were very appreciative of him. And on the right is Davis, and he was our team leader in conjunction with Kate. We did... Um, three kinds of activities that I want to highlight. And the first one is um, our team visited over 130 children that are sponsored by VBC. And so we represented all of you. If you have a sponsored child, then we visited with that child. And during the interview, we did several things. You can go to the next slide. Um, we, we gave them an interview and we asked them, what's your favorite food? What's your favorite subject? But also, do you have a mom? Do you have a dad? Um, we measured them. We measured their shoe size. We tried to give each of them some new clothes. And then we asked them, what's the gospel and who is Jesus? And if they could share the gospel with us, they could use scripture. A lot of them could quote scripture, um, but some of them didn't know. And so that was my chance to share with them. And I used the Romans road to rock, walk through the gospel with them. And then we had each one um, share prayer requests with us and we prayed with them. We had them write a letter back to their sponsor. If their sponsor had written to them, we opened packages and letters from their sponsor. And it was just amazing to see these children in this program. They're all there because they've been through some sort of trauma or lost a parent or had families that couldn't provide for them, and they feel so connected to their sponsor. It was not uncommon for them to say, please tell them that I love them so much. Yes, in fact, um, up there on the right is Abel. He's sponsored by the De Temples. And in the middle is Kenneth. He's sponsored by Bill and Alice. And then on the left is Peruth. Um, she was sponsored by my mother. And on the bottom is Richard, and he's sponsored by my daughter Liz and her husband. So. Okay, next slide. Um, the next kind of activity we did is we shared with many different kinds of audiences. Um, and our team all took turns. We spoke about 20 times collectively. And this is Kishanji Highlands High School, which is where all the sponsored children go. And every morning they have devotions outside. So here's Scott Etchison. I think he was sharing about um, keeping good company. Next slide. Um, this is the Shepherd Center. This is a homeless shelter for boys. And this is where Lisa O'Brien is now stationed and has her ministry. She is a missionary that's commissioned by VBC. Um, this is a harder ministry because these are street boys and they're not used to structure and it's hard to keep them structured. And so I think this is a really important ministry. And 
uh, go back to that picture, Dylan. We notice a lot of uh, local shirts. I see Aurora Christian, Lisbon, <laughs> uh, Village Bible Church. Uh, were you guys giving those out this early, was... or did they already have those? Everywhere we went, we had a gift for people. And our gift to them was a hat and a T-shirt, so they had just put them all on. And about the gifts, for the people, like the grandmas, we gave soap. For the kids, sometimes we gave suckers. Um, But for every audience that we gave a gift to, we always spoke words of life. With every single gift, God loves you, Jesus loves you, you're special. So that was really, I thought, impactful that Kate trained us to do that. Um, This is another orphanage. It's called New Times, and this is a primary school where one of our team members was sharing about the Good Samaritan, and we actually acted it out, and I was the robber, which upset some of the little kids when I beat up Scott. (laughs) But but, um, it it was a a great time to see all these kids. They're they're so attentive, and they're used to listening, and they're very um, engaged audience. And... um, I spoke twice. Um, the first one I don't have a picture of. It was to the teachers of Kishanji Highlands High School. And I gave a lesson on Romans 10, 11, which says, um, those who believe in Jesus will not be put to shame. And that audience was tricky because half of them were very proficient in English and the other half didn't speak English. Um, but I had learned the words for honor and shame, which is echi uh, swallow and echtenisa in the local language. And I was able to give a message that was um, well-received by both groups. And then this was the Abide Girls. Um, Abide stands for Amagaro Bible Institute of Discipleship and Evangelism. It's a one-semester program that's for students between high school and uh, university because they have a gap semester, the way their um, system is structured. And they spend six months um, learning um, how to preach, how to rightly divide the word of truth, and also some practical skills like computers um, and sewing. And so this was right before graduation, and we attended their graduation. So these group of girls were just so engaging. And um, I shared with them a a purity lesson that was also um, an object lesson that was based on food from their culture. So the third thing that I did that was just so much a blessing to my heart was being reunited with um, my Ugandan kids that God gave to me in 2014 and 15, and there are five of them. Um, So this was at the Abide graduation, and um, there were two lines, one for visitors and one for Ugandans, but they couldn't chase me out of the Ugandan line. So I really enjoyed um, eating this meal with my sponsored student. I should say R because Dan has been very involved in this ministry. He's been to Africa. He's met all these, and he's involved in every decision that we make. We make it together. Um, the one in purple is my our sponsored student, Klaus. Um, I'll tell you more about his story in a minute. Um, so this is Richard. He's sponsored by my daughter and her husband. <coughs> um, he was physically chased from his home in elementary school and has been essentially homeless ever since. Um, But he's now doing much better. He's going to graduate in October with a degree in business administration. And I got to meet his mother. We couldn't speak the same language. And like I said, she's never been able to support him. And there's never been a father in the picture. Um, But I got to share with her and pray with her and give her a present. And um, it was a joy to meet her and understand his life a little better. Um, In the white is 
as Edson. Um, he's a pretty special person. When I met him in 2014, um, he was smiley on the outside, but just really missing the care of parents on the inside. Both his parents died when he was six as a result of a crime, and he was very scared about his future. He didn't know what was going to happen to him. Um, but now he's been sponsored for five years by our long-term college friend, um, George Owens. And I took a whole day away from the team and went with Lisa O'Brien to visit his childhood home. So on the left, um, <laughs> you can see his uh, nephew, Davis, who is carrying some matoke, which is um, green bananas that they, they mash and steam and we eat them hot. Um, and then right next to Edson is his sister, um, Sharon, Edson's very proficient in English because he's college educated, but um, his sister doesn't speak English, um, but yet she sang a song, and this is probably the poorest family I visited because the rest of the children are not in the Juna Amagara system. Um, they live in this dirt house, and I asked, well, why aren't you growing food for the children? Because they had some land, and the answer was every day that she goes out to plant a garden is a day the children go to school without breakfast the next day because she wasn't able to earn any shillings on the day that she planted a garden. So they don't always have food, um, but she sang a song, and the song was, some people praise God for riches, some people praise God for their possessions, but I praise God for my life. <laughs> and I was able to learn a song in their local language. Um, I found it on the internet, but their local language is very specific to this region. And so I sang it for them, and as soon as I started singing, um, the family and all the neighbors kind of lit up, and they started singing with me. So it, and then the song that I sang, the translation was, there is life in Jesus, there is grace in Jesus, um, there is salvation in Jesus, and there is love in Jesus. So it was a blessing to be able to share with them, even though we couldn't talk. Are we not going to hear that song? You want to hear the song? <laughs> Halio Makara, Halio Makara, Halio Makara, why a sue? Halio Makara, Halio Makara, Halio Makara, why a sue? Ambapazi, Halio Ambapazi, Halio Ambapazi, Halio Ambapazi, why a sue? Halio Ambapazi, Halio Ambapazi, Halio Ambapazi, why a sue? Oh, Kuchunwa, Halio Kuchunwa. Sing with me, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 Sorry, they never sing standing still. <laughs> um, another time I sang that song, we visited a medical clinic, and there was a chronically ill old woman laying outside on a blanket, and one of our team members prayed over her and um, read a verse for her, which was translated, but she was kind of unresponsive, and then I started singing that song, and all of a sudden, she just started singing. So, yeah. Um, this was probably my 
wonderful day in the whole trip. Um, on the left is Ken, and he's Bill and Alice's sponsored student. And he graduated from Abide, and he's the little brother of our sponsored student, Klaus, which is on the right. And their sister in the middle is Paruth, and she's sponsored by my mother. So this family has become our family. And uh, the story is um, their mother that is there between Peruth and Klaus. Um, their father was a taxi driver who um, had other women in his life and contacted AIDS, uh, gave it to his mother, and then died, leaving the family very destitute. So when I met them, all three had dropped out of school, um, but now um, Peruth has finished her bachelor's degree in child development, and Ken is looking forward to starting in a university this fall, and Klaus is in his fourth year of medical school. So this family has become very special, and this is the first time I had been with them all in the same place. And um, also at the Abide graduation, out of all 22 Abide graduates, one was chosen to preach that day, and it was Ken. <laughs> so we were all there to hear him as he spoke on John 15, Abiding in Christ. This is their mother, um, Kidress, and I've met her once before. Dan and I went to her house, um, which is way in the western part of Uganda in 2015, and she and I don't speak the same language, um, but we saw each other and ran toward each other, and she gave me the warmest hug and a beautiful piece of fabric to make an African dress for the next time that I go to Africa. And um, Dan and I had written her a letter, which Klaus had translated into her language so that she could... Um, read it, but she had a verse of scripture for me, and the verse of scripture was Psalm 41.1, blessed is the one who considers the poor in the day of trouble the Lord delivers him. So again, it was very special to be able to communicate without the same language. Um, I think the thing that I learned this time that impacted me more than before is the depth of the brokenness of some of these students. Um, these two particularly how their parents both died as a result of sin when they were six. And even though they're doing well now, there's still holes, you know, emotional holes. Um, Edson still misses the love of a mother. And and I I met one of the teachers from Kashanji Highlands High School who I'd met before, and I said, you know, I, I, I'm not sure why I make a difference in their lives. And she scolded me. She looked at me and she said, well, you were created for such a time as this. And God put you in their life. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, um, I, this verse was in our devotions one day over there. Um, we did team devotions every day. The, um, this verse is a prophecy speaking of Christ, but I pray that I reflected him in this way. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And again, I saw some broken hearts in 2015 and 14, and I see how they're not quite so broken anymore, and I'm very grateful. So this is just a ministry report. Um, there's a verse in First Peter that talks about being good stewards of God's grace. And there are many people in this room that supported us to go and that helped me on this journey. And um, Peruth, she saw me. She said, I just want you to know that your labor is not in vain. So I'm thanking all of you for being a part of this because this is not really my story. This is Village Bible Church story. And... Um, in the labor, your Lord is not in vain. So thank you very much for sending us, and it was impactful on both sides. Well, great story there. Thank you, Julie.
Well, it was December 31st in the year 2007. Uh, and uh, I got a call from my buddy Steve. And Steve had the, uh, uh, he just built a, a new school in Yorkville. And, and so he uh, wanted to get a bunch of guys together and play some basketball. And so I, I quickly accepted it, a little noon basketball uh, with my buddy and got to see him. And, and so we're there playing and, and quickly as I'm uh, playing in this game, I realized that, that one of the players on the, uh, on the other team has no clue about the game of basketball, okay? So when you have a guy who doesn't know how to play basketball, like doesn't understand the game, but is athletic enough to get up and down, that's a dangerous situation. And, and, and in the end, someone usually gets hurt, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, this guy, would, he would take the ball and he'd dribble and he'd just ram into people as he's trying to go to the hoop. He would jump over on top of people's backs as he's trying to rebound. He just didn't understand the nuances of the game of basketball. Well, one time he got a, a steal, a loose ball, and, and he starts heading down the other side of the court for a, what's called a breakaway, where he had a wide open layup by himself. Me being competitive, I thought, guaranteed this guy's gonna miss the layup and I'm just going to get, get the rebound. The guy goes up, bangs it off the rim, like I anticipated. I go up, grab the rebound. I turn around to go the other direction, and the guy just smashes into me. The ball gets loose, and he goes up and makes a layup. In the meantime, I'm on the sideline like, ah, ah. And, I, and the guy's cheering because he just made a layup. And I thought, this guy's crazy. So I grab the ball, and I start dribbling back up the court, and I'm like, I stop. And I'm like, the ball's lost air. It's like half the air's out of the ball. That's weird. And I look at the ball, and nothing's wrong with it. And then I look at, at this hand, and I realize that half of my hand is just swollen up. And so it feels like and I look at my pinky, and my pinky is not facing the right direction. So I'm like, oh, no. So it's New Year's Eve. No doctors are open. I can go to the ER, but I, I feel like I just have a dislocated finger. So I call my buddy, who's a chiropractor, and I, I say, can we just run over there real quick? And, and you, he goes, okay, I'll check it out. So he, he was in his office, and, and I ran over there, it was right in Yorkville, and he looked at it, he goes, yeah, that's not dislocated, that's broken. You need to go to the ER. I went to the ER, I got home, and it was a great night for us at our New Year's Eve party. I was in bed sleeping by 8 o'clock because of the medicine. A few days later, I go to the surgeon who's got to examine the finger, and, and who's got to check out the finger, and and, and like prepare it for the surgery that needs to happen in order to correct what happened. And he lays me on the bed, my hand over the side, and he starts manipulating my finger. And I'm like, ah! And he goes, does that hurt? <laughs> I said, yes, very much so. 
So then he gives me a shot about right here. Then he gives me another shot right here. And then a shot about right here. And he leaves. And he comes back about a half hour later. And he starts manipulating it again. This time it didn't hurt like it did the first time. It hurt worse. Excruciating pain. I didn't have the x-rays. I'm a, not a doctor. But I would guess that he broke my finger in a different spot while he was manipulating it. And hurt me worse. You see, he was poking and prodding an injury that was already there. Something that was already dealt with. And, and frankly, that's exactly what Amos is doing. And that, that's exactly what might happen today in the sermon for you guys. You've got something going on in your life. You have things going on in your life. Maybe you're already struggling. Maybe you're already hurting. And I may say, does this hurt a little bit? You see, Amos, when he was speaking to the northern Israel, apparently they weren't hurting. They were numb to it already. And they couldn't even hear the call that Amos was given. You being good students of God's word and understanding who Jesus Christ is and understanding uh, the requirements asked of you, you may hurt a little bit from today's sermon. I'm going to try to be short today. Don't know if that's possible. But I'm going to try to bring forth God's word in a truthful way. Would you bow with me and pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time to come before you, to hear from you, to be challenged by you. And cause pain if we need it, God. So we can get our life adjusted and corrected and refocused on what really matters. And that's you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to show a short video, get you all back up to track, all the way through chapter 6 of Amos. In the eyes of the prophets, he was one of the worst kings ever. His wealth had led to apathy, and he allowed idol worship for the gods of Canaan, which in turn led to injustice and the neglect of the poor. And it got to the point where Amos couldn't take it anymore. He sensed God calling him to go trek up north to Bethel, an important city that had a large temple, and start announcing God's word to the people. And this book is a collection of his sermons and poems and visions uttered over the years. They were compiled later to give God's people a sense of his divine message to the northern kingdom, and it's a message we still need to hear today. The book has a fairly clear design. Chapters 1 and 2 are a series of messages to the nations and Israel. Then chapters 3 to 6 are a collection of poems that express Amos's message to the people of Israel and its leaders. Chapters 7 through 9 contain a series of visions that Amos experienced that depict God's coming judgment on Israel. Let's just dive in. So the book opens with a series of short poems that accuse all of Israel's neighbors of violence and injustice. And this is kind of odd because the book's opening line said that Amos was going to speak against 
Israel. But watch how this works. As Amos is naming all of these neighboring nations, you can go look at a map and see that he's creating a circle. And when he's done, Israel lies right in the center, like a target in the crosshairs. And on Israel, Amos unleashes a poetic accusation that's three times longer and more intense than any of these others. He accuses Israel's wealthy of ignoring the poor and allowing grave injustice in their land, specifically by allowing the poor to be sold into debt slavery and then going on to deny any of these people legal representation. And this, Amos asks, is this the family that was once denied justice and enslaved in Egypt? The family that God rescued from oppression and slavery? The party's over, Amos says. God is done putting up with you. And so the opening of the next section explains why. God says, I chose you, Israel, from among all the families of the earth. This is an allusion to Genesis 12, how God had called the family of Abraham to become God's blessing to all of the nations. And so then God says, so this is why I will punish you for all of your sin. Israel had a great calling, which came with great responsibility. And so their sin and rebellion brings great consequences. Now, this section brings together a lot of Amos's poems, and you'll see a few key themes repeated over and over. So first, he's constantly exposing the religious hypocrisy of Israel's wealthy and their leaders. And he describes how they faithfully attend the religious gatherings, giving offerings and sacrifices, all the while neglecting the poor and ignoring injustice. And Amos says it's all a sham, that God actually hates their worship because it's totally disconnected from how they treat people. God says a real relationship with him will transform a person's relationships. And so Amos's call to true worship is to let justice flow like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. Now, these two words, they're super important for Amos and actually all of the prophets. So righteousness, or in Hebrew, tzedakah, refers to a standard of right, equitable relationships between people, no matter their social differences. And justice, or in Hebrew, mishpat, refers to concrete actions that you take to correct injustice and create righteousness. And so both of these are to permeate the life of God's covenant people like a rushing stream fills a dry riverbed. The next theme is Amos's repeated accusations of Israel's idolatry. So remember, when the northern kingdom broke away from southern Judah, their king built two new temples to rival Solomon's in Jerusalem, and he placed a golden calf in each. Remember 1 Kings chapter 12. Since then, Israel had only accumulated more idols, worshiping the gods of sex and weather and war. And in the prophet's view, the worship of these gods always led to injustice because these gods don't require the same degree of justice and righteousness as the God of Israel, not to mention that these gods were immoral themselves. Not the God of Israel. He's different. So he can say in one place, seek me that you may live. And then right after that, say to Israel, seek good, not evil, that you may live. So true worship of the creator God of Israel, it's synonymous with doing good, with generosity, and with justice. And so the final theme in these chapters is that because Israel and its king have rejected Amos and the other prophets, God will send the day of the Lord. This is a great and terrible act of justice on Israel. And specifically, Amos predicts that a powerful nation will come and conquer and decimate their cities and take the people away into exile. And we know his prediction came true. Some 40 years later, the Assyrian Empire swooped in and did exactly as Amos had said. 
So we're going to be going into Amos chapters 5 and 6, all of chapter 6, most of chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 4 uh, in chapter 5 and just read a couple verses there. Verse 4, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. And in verse 6, Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and a devour with none to quench it for Bethel. Friends, you and I should be seeking the Lord and not ourselves. That's our first point. Seek the Lord and not yourself. Amos, he's going to these people that, that are high class, that are, uh, that are wealthy, uh, that believe that they are above other people. And he's warning them and, and saying, stop seeking yourself. Stop pleasing yourself. Look to the Lord, the God Almighty. He said, you just continue to seek out all the pleasures for yourself. And what that's going to end up being is destruction. And you're going to have fire brought onto you and it's going to devour you. Amos is telling them through the words of God himself that right now they're feeling some joy because of what's going on in their social life, what's going on with their bank account, what's going on with their employment, what's going on in their homes and in their stomachs. But the day is coming where all that's going to mean a hill of beans. You see, back in the day, and I don't know if they do it anymore, uh, when a convict was put on the death row, everywhere they would go, they'd be chained in multiple locations on their feet, and, and their hands would be pronated, and, and, and they'd have a chain behind them, and, and many times they'd have multiple, up to four guards that would be walking behind them that were connected by chains. And as, as the convict had to go and, and meet their attorney or, or go to uh, the clinic or, or go just across the yard for something, one of the guards would yell, Dead man walking! Dead man walking! And anyone who heard that being said would immediately be required to get out of the way because we're coming straight through. You see, the man was, the convict was convicted to the death penalty. So even though they were still walking around, they were already a dead man. That's exactly what Amos was doing. He was telling them that, you know what, you've already been convicted it's already been, been said, you're dead. Your time has already come. Yeah, it may not be today. But it's already been written. And, and, and you've already been found guilty from God. And they didn't realize it. You saw it at the end of that video. In 40 years, the Assyrians were coming in and were going to destroy and devour them. God was being truthful to his word. They were dead men walking. How about you? 
Are you seeking God? Are you getting on your knees and talking to the Lord? Are you pretending like everything's great in your life? Is that what you're trying to do? That uh, This message is about you getting serious with God. Are you counting the times you come to church and, and counting the times that you help out somebody else? Counting the money that you give to the church and saying, oh, I'm doing a good job. I'm doing a great job. The people in Amos' time, as you can read in Amos 5.21 and Ford, they love to have festivals. They love to have celebrations. They love to have events. Well, the people in Amos' time, frankly, they were just wasting their time. They thought these celebrations and, and, and these times where they were going in, in their extracurricular faith, they, they thought that those things were the things of, of what great people do, of what wonderful people do. And, and, and frankly, they just wanted to uh, be in the social circles with one another. 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I give away everything that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I gain absolutely nothing. You see, Paul's talking about putting God and putting others before yourself. It doesn't matter if I can speak like an angel, but I don't have the love of God, agape. If I don't have that in my life, I'm just like, my words are nothing. People got to close their ears and because it sounds so horrible, because it means nothing. My words mean nothing. Unless I love the Lord, my God. Remember Jesus, he was asked, uh, which is the greatest commandment? Which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus went to Deuteronomy 6.5. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's absolutely crucial. It's not about ourselves. It's about God. It's about others. This is why we should be seeking good and not evil. That's your second point. Verses 14 and 15 of chapter 5 says, Seek good and not evil, that you may live, and so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Psalm 34, 12 and 16 says, What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may seek good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of of them from the earth. All right, so let's get honest. 
Let's get honest. Way too often, we are seeking evil in our own lives. We are. We're looking, we're looking for uh, a quick way to quench our thirst. We, we, we'll, we'll take anything to quench our thirst. Just a little sip. We'll trade off this tiny little sip for a crazy amount of value because we want to quench that immediate thirst. And frankly, we love that moment. We take pleasure in that moment. So what are you doing? Are you cheating? Are you giving in to your lust for sexual pleasure? Are you mistreating your spouse or your children, watching movies that aren't pure? Are you seeking money above the Lord, swearing, using the Lord's name in vain, being careless with your body, being lazy, a sluggard? Getting into verbal and physical fights, having anger towards one another, not forgiving those who have harmed you, seeking alcohol or drugs or pornography, abusing your body, stealing from work, stealing from your neighbor, being dishonest, spreading rumors, gossiping, gambling, bragging, Having envy for your neighbor's stuff? Are you mad when other people are blessed? Did I hit anything that, that hits home with you? Anywhere on that list, hit home. Jesus said to the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Over and over and over. You commit evil, you seek evil, you do evil, and you forget that I'm just thirsty again soon after. The only way to quench that thirst is to seek God. And that, that, that he'll, he'll quench you for eternity. You see, because if you just take in that evil and that, uh, that quick drink, all of a sudden, the, the sun's going to be beating on your back of your neck again, and you're going to start getting dehydrated, and, and you're going to get thirsty again, and you just need that little drink one more time. Just quench it one more time. When Amos mentioned the remnant of Joseph in verse 15, I, I'm sure a flood of memories came back to those people. They're like, oh yeah, we are, we are the people of Joseph. Maybe they even thought about when Joseph was thrown in the cistern in the pit. You remember that story? Genesis 37. Joseph coming up. He's, he's gone to visit his nine brothers. Ten brothers, I think it was. And he comes and visits them, and, and they see him from afar, and they, they Grab them, they're going to kill them, but then they decide, no, let's just throw them in the cistern and, and see what happens. It's an empty well, and they chuck them down there. So he lands right on the bottom. He's probably crying and, and scraping to get up and begging his brothers, please help, please help, please help. 
And what's it say in verse 25 of 37, of Genesis 37? Then they sat down and ate. They ate lunch while their brother was experiencing cruciating sorrow. He was scared to death. And then they ate lunch. See, these brothers were not seeking the Lord. They were seeking themselves. These brothers were not seeking good. Rather, they were going towards evil. The third thing that we should be seeking in this section is repentance, not complacency. Repentance, not complacency. For whatever reason it was, the, the people in Amos' time were obsessed with, with this day of the Lord. They always talked about it. They always were excited about it. And in their mind, they were the chosen race, the chosen nation. And the day of the Lord was going to be finally getting rid of all those other nations. Finally getting rid of them. From the vantage point of northern Israel, they were in good shape. That's why they were blessed. That's why they were where were they where they thought they should be. We don't need to worry about it. God's got us. Remember Jonah with Nineveh? He didn't even want the people of Nineveh to come to know the Lord. He didn't want God's mercy to be upon them. He wanted them to get crushed. He wanted them to die because he didn't like them. Well, nor did these people. They didn't like their neighbors. During the 8th century in Amos' time, the Israelites, they're excited about the day of the Lord. They got complacent. We don't need to change. We are God's chosen people. Look at us. Look at the fruit we have. Look at the joy we have. Look at the freedom we have. We don't need to think about all these things you're saying, Amos. Amos, you're an idiot. You're, you're a poor man. Stop. We don't need to listen to you. We don't need to change. We're going to sit back and enjoy this. Yeah, we may honor a couple, three different gods and, and may be a little promiscuous and, and maybe do some. It's not bad. We still serve Yahweh. He's still one of our main gods. And we know that we are already chosen. Amos is saying from the Lord, on that day, it's not going to be good for you. A, a, a lion's going to come roaring. And you're going to run away. And you're going to turn and you're going to come face to face with a large bear. And then you're going to get away from that bear and, 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 and run into a vacant house. And, and you're going to catch your breath and lean against the wall. And a snake is going to bite you and kill you at that moment. You see, that's what we do. We think we can get away from, from this, uh, that uh, punishment from God. Okay, okay, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'll deal with that now. Okay, I'll deal with that tomorrow. Or, and, and you keep running away, keep running away, and all of a sudden, bam! The snake bites you. And now, it is not good. In chapter 6, Amos continues to warn the people to stop being com complacent. Not to be happy with where they are in their walk. 
Verse 2b through 8 in chapter 6, it says, Are you better than these kingdoms, or is this their territory greater than your territory? O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of a harp, and like David invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine of bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils. You see, they're saying, oh, my goodness, you guys got the best stuff. Oh, you're nice and lotioned up. Oh, man, you smell good. You look good. You're enjoying food. You've got the great, listen to that music. That would put Tom Kirkland to shame. Man, that is beautiful. That's what Amos is doing. Amos is mocking them right now. Through the word of God. You guys think you have everything. You don't have anything. You and I, we need to be doing this too. We need to be contemplating this. We need to be thinking about this. Because we get way too complacent. We look at our neighbor. We look at the people around us and we say... You see that guy on TV? What a fool. I'm so much better than him. You may not say that last phrase, but you think it. You may see, see that lady on Facebook and, and see what she's saying. and oh, That lady, she's crazy. That lady's crazy. She, Man, I'm so much better than her. Woe to us who get complacent in our walk with the Lord. Woe to us who seek to please ourselves and do what is evil. Woe to us who are not continuously seeking the face of the Lord and instead seeking the fun of this life. Woe to us who sit down on our easy chair instead of worrying about our neighbor who is going to hell. Woe to us who don't want to change because that's just how I am. That's just who I am. Friends, if we are truly seeking the Lord, if we're truly seeking good and seeking how we can change as people, then it will lead to four things. Four things. Our seeking will lead us first to honesty with ourselves and our God. Honesty with ourselves and our our God. Honesty is a great thing. And, and you know what? Our God already knows it. He knows everything already. But he wants us to come to him and be truthful with him. To be completely transparent. Our God is omnipotent, omniscient. He knows everything. Omnipresent. He's been involved in everything. But he wants us to come before him with truth. Psalm 145, 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Just be honest with God. That's a crucial point in your walk with the Lord, is if you're honest. And you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong here. 
But, but I would lean towards the women in this room tend to be more honest about their feelings than the men in this room. Because half the time Sherry says, hey, Phil, what's wrong? I have no idea. I don't know how to articulate it. And you know, part of that is my lack of just being completely uh, honest with Sherry. Meaning, where I go to her frequently and, and tell her something that's struggling with me. Because the more you do it, the more uh, articulate you could be. And you know what? God wants us to do that to him. He desires that. That we come to him and we just pour it out. We're not looking for him to be a genie. Looking for him to just magically give us something. No, we're there going for confession and for sharing our heart and sharing all the things that are going on in our lives. The, the weaknesses we have, the struggles that we have, the blessings that we've been given, all the stuff, everything, just to be honest with God. And our seeking will lead us to honesty with God and therefore will lead us to humbleness. Humbleness before the Almighty. Billy Graham, he listed 12 ways to be humble. And I thought these were pretty good. I've got them up here. We'll do one at a time. Number one, routinely confess your sin to God. That, that's that honesty thing. Keep going to God about it. Number two, acknowledge your sin to others. James talks about this. It's very important, that accountability partner. If, if you have a spouse, that's a good place to start. A good friend, a good buddy. Go to them and talk with them. Number three, take wrong patiently. Take a look at that in 1 Peter 3. Actively submit to authority, the good and the bad. This is hard for a lot of people to submit to authority, to those who are above you, to those who are leading you. Sometimes when you think they're making bad decisions or bad choices, or sometimes you think they're doing great choices, Either way, you, you have to submit to them unless your authority is going against God. This goes for children with parents and, and so on and so forth. Receive correction and feedback from others graciously. Again, very difficult to do. We get prideful. But this leads to humbleness where you hear when someone speaks to you and you're able to receive it graciously. Accept a lowly place. That's hard to do. You know, don't put yourself at the head, head of the table at, at a place. Put yourself somewhere in the middle. Somewhere where you think is, is, is meaningless. And if someone wants to move you up to a different spot, let them do that because then it's honorable. Otherwise, you're lifting yourself up. Purposely associate with people of lower state than you. We saw that with Julie when we're talking about uh, levels of where people see themselves economically and socially and uh, uh, academically speaking. We have to understand that there is no actual different state. We are all made in the image of God and we are all fallen people. So there is, the interaction should be with all and everyone. Choose to serve others. Very important to humble yourself by serving others. One of the things Sherry and I have done 
practically speaking, is that we challenge our kids each and every single summer that they have to serve in some way at a, at a missions trip or, or at, at a camp or, or something where they're getting experience where it's not about themselves. It's about other people. Not to check the box, but because of your love for Jesus Christ. Be quick to forgive, number nine. Number ten, cultivate a grateful heart. Number eleven, purpose to speak well of others. And number twelve, treat pride as a condition that always necessitates embracing the cross. Pride is dangerous, friends. When you think you're too good, when you think you're too smart, when you think you know everything, watch out. Watch out. The Bible says, exalt yourself and you will be humbled. Humble yourself and you will be exalted before your God. A third thing our seeking will lead us to is a heart that is focused on serving Jesus. If you're coming before God honestly and humbly and in prayer and in Bible study, your heart will grow to serve, wanting to serve Jesus Christ in real and practical ways because you're going to want to be led by the Holy Spirit, led to places that you can't even imagine. It's not for a show, but for God's glory. That's what it's about. Some people are led to serve others in places around the world. Some people are led to serve their family and, uh, and train up disciples within their family. Some people are, are led to preach. Some people are, are given a platform at work. Some people are, have the power of the pen or, or, or the computer uh, to serve Jesus. Some people give money to help others serve Jesus. And, and it's a great match for the people that are going to go out and do the work who need the money. If we're seeking the Lord and seeking good and continuously seeking repentance, it's going to lead to honesty with God. And it will help us to learn to be humble before the Almighty, which will give us a heart that's totally focused on Jesus Christ. And in the end, in the end, and this is crucial, it will lead us into holiness before the great I Am. Holiness. Leviticus 19, 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying... Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 2 Corinthians 7.1, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. As one author put it, as we pursue holiness, we become more Christ-like. This brings glory to God in this present world and also prepares us to live with him in the world to come. It is our calling and destiny, and God will settle for nothing less. God demands holiness. Hebrews 12, 14 says that without holiness, we will not see the Lord. 
We cannot see God if we are not holy. And that's not good to not see God. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in things in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards us, disregards not a man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to us. Yes, we were saved by grace. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you were saved by grace. But Paul says to the Philippians that we are to work out our salvation. That we are to work it out every single day with fear and trembling. We're to take up our cross. We need to seek the living and holy God. We need to bow before him. We need to ask him to, to get us to be humble. So he can change us and he can lead us. You see, we are continuously working out our salvation. Every single day. We can rest in verses like Ephesians 2. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one could boast. Romans reminds us, Romans reminds us, we are all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, from Adam to Eve, all the way down to every one of us. Jesus was the only exception. He was the only exception. But we have the ability to be seen as part of the kinship of Jesus, part of his royal family, which is tremendous. J.I. Packer puts it this way, holiness starts inside a person with a right purpose that seeks to express itself in a right performance. It is a matter not just of the emotions I go through, but the motives that prompt me to go through them. A holy person's motivating aim, a holy person's motivating passion, desire, longing, aspiration, goal, and drive is to please God, both by what one does and what one avoids doing. Unlike the 8th century, friends, that Amos was dealing with, I urge that you listen to actually what I'm saying. I urge you to listen. Holiness is not something that that you can accidentally fall into. Holiness is not something that you can get from your mom and dad. Holiness is not something that you can go buy at the local grocery store or that you can earn. Holiness comes from the Holy Spirit. We are not to be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed. To be transformed by the renewal of our mind. We are to cleanse ourselves from every defilement that comes our way. Jesus Christ gave up his life for us. He shed his blood for us that we could be forgiven of our sins. What are you struggling with right now? Today? This past week? This past month? What are you struggling with? 
What can you be honest with God right now while I'm speaking that you can tell God about? Is there something that you need to bring to him? You see, the Bible tells us to bring all of our needs to him. To be honest, completely honest with God. Come before him humbly and with all of our heart. Trust that God is faithful. Trust that, that he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he will. And he will allow us to be seen as holy if we come before him in humbleness because we will be masked with the blood of Jesus. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. I'll end with this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting.